Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you as we are in the Advent season, uh, celebrating the birth of our Savior and waiting with anticipation uh, the uh, arrival of our King as we celebrate his uh, birth and uh, rejoice in the work of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, we wait with anticipation for his return. Uh, and as believers, we uh, celebrate Advent season uh, because of who Jesus is as our King, as God with us, and also how that changes everything for us. Uh, so today we will be looking in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18. And as you turn there, I'd love to pray and ask God's uh, presence to be here with us uh, as we get started with the teaching. Uh, Father, God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this morning, a time to gather uh, with your people, a time to gather as your people. Lord, a time to gather around uh, worshiping our Savior, Jesus. Um, God, I thank you that out of your goodness, you uh, sent your Son uh, to be your dwelling presence with us. Uh, God, to redeem us, uh, to save us from Satan, sin, death, hell. Uh, God, to shape us as a people for your own possession. God, I thank you that you are a God who makes good on your promises. And uh, God, I pray that over the next uh, few minutes we have together as we continue in worship, uh, Lord, that you would uh, shape our hearts and minds. Uh, God, that you would shape us to be your people. God, personally, uh, in our families, uh, as a uh, community of believers. Uh, God, I pray that you do this uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your word, uh, for your glory and our joy. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is, in, is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, 
they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. Friends, the good news of Advent is that God is with us. And this changes everything. God is with you. God is with you right now. Jesus came, promised by God the Father, for generations before. He, come and, he, he came and lived on this earth as a man, God's presence dwelling with his people. And this changes everything for you and I today. Last week we were introduced to what we know as the Advent Conspiracy um, and ben Ritchie did a great job of laying out before us what the next few weeks is going to look like as a church, the things that we will be doing in celebration of the Advent season. We're looking at worshiping fully, spending less, giving more, and loving all. Now to apply this, we have to have a, an understanding of how our stories, our personal stories, fit into the grand story of redemption, right? the grand story of, of God redeeming his people uh, from Genesis to Revelation. You see, the Bible begins in the book of Genesis stating that God creates everything out of nothing. Uh, he does this because he is good, and out of his own good pleasure, he makes everything out of nothing, says his creation is good, creates the first man, first woman, says this is very good. But if you read in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see that sin and rebellion enters the world, and ever since then, things have been a mess. Right, sin is, is rebelling against God. It's not trusting uh, God's goodness and God's promises and, and going your own way. And when we look throughout the Old Testament, we see that rebellion takes many different forms, one of that being idolatry. You see, God's people were created to worship him. As humans, we were created in the image of God to be image bearers, to have all of our attention and affection directed toward God and worship. The first man and first woman were created for this purpose, and you and I are created for this purpose. But see, in our rebellion, we do not fully have our attention and affection directed toward God. This is seen throughout the Old Testament, so you're in good company. We see that in the Old Testament, God commands his people to worship, and they rebel in idolatry and sin. We see through the book of Exodus that God's presence comes down and dwells with his people, but time and time again, they uh, are not wild enough by his work and his dwelling presence, but rather uh, rebel and look toward other idols. The prophets, time and time again, uh, are proclaiming the goodness of God and proclaiming repentance and belief for people to turn back to the God who created them to be worshipers and to stop chasing idols. In the first century, in the time of the birth of Christ, God's people had experienced numerous times of exile and oppression uh, the Roman occupation of, uh, of the, the land of Israel was oppressive to God's people. They were heavily taxed. They were oppressed and, and controlled even religiously and economically and politically and militarily. And so God's people who, who look back on their heritage and say, look, we know who God is and what he's done. We know that God freed our ancestors uh, from slavery in Egypt, and we knew that God's presence dwelled with them in the form of a tabernacle. We knew God led us to this land and gave us this land where we had a temple, and God's presence would dwell in this temple as we worship. But we know that the things are not right. 
Personally, there's brokenness and sin, and, and relationally, there's brokenness. Politically, there was corruption and oppression, and religiously, there was, uh, there was disenfranchisement. And so God's people wait with anticipation for God to fulfill his promises. They know that God had created them for worship, that God had created them to be uh, a people worshiping him. And so when we get to the first century, we get to the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew is laying out before us, as you and I, 2,000 years later, are reading and hearing this good news. Matthew is saying, God is making good on his promises. That God, who, who created everything for his good pleasure, and even though it's broken, is redeeming and restoring and fixing things. That God has not abandoned his people to be in slavery or in exodus or in exile or in a time of oppression that God is showing up to dwell with his people so that they would worship him. Now, this is good news for me and you because these promises ring true. We see that God makes good in his promises in the person and work of Jesus, that God's people were expecting God to show up, expecting him to intervene. And you and I today, we bring expectations into this room. As we enter the Advent season, what are you expecting from God? Are you expecting anything? Are you expecting uh, a, a relationship to grow with your Savior? Uh, are you expecting to grow in your faith? Are you expecting to have an encounter uh, with the Lord? Are you expecting to, what are you expecting from the Lord this morning? Because friends, I want to submit to you as we look at God's word today, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to restore and dwell with his people. And this promise rings true for you and I today. And to worship fully we must believe the promises that God has laid out before us. So today, as we talk about worshiping fully during Advent season and, and beyond, what, what does it mean to worship fully? We have to trust the promise of God's presence with us and respond with a heart of joy and a posture of worship. In verse 18, Matthew, in the prior 17 verses, has laid out the, the lineage of Jesus. I mean, saying, look, this is God's working through generations, broken generations. When you look through the family tree of Jesus, it's, uh, there's some twisted roots, <laughs> some broken branches, but God works through the lineage of Jesus. And in verse 18, Matthew identifies Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the one that God's people had been waiting for, Many people were anticipating a political ruler or a military uh, leader. And Matthew says, Jesus is the Christ. Christ meaning Messiah, anointed one. Jesus is the one that God has promised. Jesus is the one that you are expecting. So in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. A few verses down in verse 23, we see that not only does Matthew speak of Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, but he equates him to being God incarnate. When he says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see that, that Jesus was born, his, his mother Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus himself is not only the Messiah, the promised anointed one, but he is God dwelling with his people, Emmanuel. You see, when we look at that phrase, you and I can just like 
gloss over it because we say Emmanuel, that means God with us. That's what that name means. Or, or maybe you are familiar with Christmas songs or carols that have the name Emmanuel in it. You know, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we, we fail to, to really grasp the impact of what Matthew is saying here. Jesus is God dwelling with us. This is the promise that God himself had made hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. I mean, for Matthew to quote Isaiah here is not just kind of saying, hey, remember that, that old tune we hum around the campfire about Emmanuel? Like, that's Jesus. No, this has a huge impact for a first century uh, Jew or a first century reader or, or a hearer of this good news. And it, by God's grace, will have a huge impact on you and I today. Because for Jesus to be God dwelling with us is not just some random thing God does, like, oh, my people are broken, let me just get down there and fix it. But this is part of God's redemptive plan, redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation. This is God stepping into broken human history for uh, his good pleasure and for our benefit. So hundreds of years before the time of Christ, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed this good news that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we are anticipating God's intervention. In the first century, political corruption, religious corruption, uh, waiting for God to intervene and this good news of God is here dwelling with you. To understand the context, we see that Isaiah the prophet in chapter six wrote this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So friends, what I want us to see is when we see the announcement of the birth of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to be dwelling with his people, the Emmanuel. We see that Matthew is making this announcement to us by quoting Isaiah. For the first century reader, it would not merely be just a sentence, a one sentence quick little quote. But with that comes like the whole context of the prophet Isaiah. Right? So for you and I to say, well, you know, behold, a virgin shall conceive the son, they'll call him Emmanuel. That's Jesus, right? Yes. But we have to understand the context of why Matthew throws this verse in there. And that's because there's this whole backstory of the prophet Isaiah standing before the Lord saying, we are broken people. I'm a broken person. I live amidst broken people. And here I am in the presence of the Lord coming undone, falling apart. And God says, look, your guilt is taken away. In the presence of the Lord, Isaiah falls apart and says, I'm a mess. And God says, I'm taking your guilt and shame away. That's what happens when the presence of the Lord is with us. When God is with us, guilt and shame and oppression and heavy-weighted brokenness is dealt with. And so when we look in Matthew, 
And we have this pronouncement that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is Emmanuel, Jesus is God dwelling with us. That's what this means. That for God to fulfill his promise to dwell with his people means that our guilt is taken away. Our shame is taken away. That you as an individual who is a broken person, a broken person with unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips, that we are broken, needy people. The good news of Advent, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God deals with that guilt and shame by his dwelling presence. Just like he did for Isaiah, just like he does, does for his people at the birth of Jesus and continues to do today. Friends, the promise of the presence of God comes true in the person and work of Jesus, and that is good news for me and you today. You see, if I were to say that God is going to walk in the room right now, I mean, like, just in a person, he walks and says, hi, I'm the Lord. Oh, how would you respond to that? I mean, I'm willing to bet most of us may not even believe it. God is just like this ethereal force in the sky. Or maybe we are afraid that God would show up and catch us in the midst of our sin and our rebellion and our idolatry. I mean, the, the holiday season is always fun because that's when the brokenness of your heart really comes out, right? I know it does for me. I mean, that's when our selfishness erupts and say, I can't wait. I hope I get this. I get that. Dude, my birthday is in two weeks. So I got like a birthday and Christmas back to back. And then my anniversary, I'm like, dude, this is fun, right? But the selfishness within me like springs up. and I was like, dude, I, iPad mini. I'll just throw it out there. Whoa. Just going to throw it out there. Just kidding. Or also the dynamics, the, the relational brokenness within families really comes out around the holidays, right? Do any of you have an uncle or a cousin you're really looking forward to seeing this holiday season? That's when we really see the true brokenness that we are, are in the midst of. And so when we anticipate the coming of the Lord, do we do so with like guilt, like, oh, we're going to get caught? Or do we do so with, with fear? Do we do so with, with a humble, like, begging, like, God, you got to show up? Because if you don't show up, this holiday is going to be a disaster. See, the glory of the gospel is God has promised to come dwell with his people through our brokenness of sin and idolatry, God still comes down and takes away our guilt. The promise or the experience of the prophet Isaiah having the proclamation that your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, that happens when the presence of the Lord is with us and that happens when Jesus comes to earth. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The dwelling presence of Jesus makes possible for our guilt to be taken away and our sin to be atoned for. This is good news, right? And so we see this announcement in Matthew chapter 1, the, the fulfillment of the promise of the presence of God. Just like John writes in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, as we celebrate Advent, as we anticipate the dwelling presence of Jesus, may you cling to the truth that God is dwelling with us. And his dwelling presence brings about the freedom from guilt and the freedom from the bondage of sin. And that's good news. But secondly, we see that as Matthew continues announcing the birth of Jesus, there's, there's a lot going on here. He says this, we, we see this great story, right? Like, okay, there's the announcement, you know, 
busting out the prophet Isaiah and saying, look, God's going to come dwell with us. Chapter 2, we see what happens. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we, we, you, know, you know the nativity story, right? Like you've seen the, you know, the little advent play sets and, and all that kind of thing. You're familiar with like Jesus in the manger and like Mary and Joseph. You've got shepherds, angels, wise men coming in. And so as, as we see that picture, we see that, that these wise men come from far away, hundreds of miles. We don't know a lot about these guys, but they are prompted to journey hundreds of miles to come see this king that, is, that has been born. And I love what happens like when the, when the announcement comes that a king is being born and we see that this is Jesus, this is the Christ, the Messiah, this is Emmanuel, God dwelling with us, we see that these guys come from miles away in verse 2, it says, we saw this star when it rose. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We get over to verse 10. It says, when they see the star, they rejoice with a great joy. So we see that the presence of God not only takes away the guilt, not only takes away our sin and our atonement, but we see that the presence of the Lord prompts joy. And this may be hard for some of you. It can be hard for me. As Americans, we often equate joy with happiness. We say, well, you know, I experience joy when X, Y, and Z, and we, we actually equate it with happiness. You see, happiness is circumstantial. I mean, you can be happy when things are going your way. You can be happy when there's money in the bank. You can be happy when your job's going well. You can be happy when your relationships are, are working out well. well. Maybe you got the house you want. Maybe school's going okay. And, and often that's what drives us. We find our identity in the things that make us happy. That prompts our day-to-day living. We say, you know, if, if I could just have an iPhone 5, I'll be happy, right? If I could just have a deeper friendship with this person, then I'll be happy. If I could get that promotion, I'll be happy then. If I could move to that neighborhood or get that house, then I'll be happy. And that prompts our day-to-day lives, Right? And often we equate joy with happiness, but happiness is circumstantial. And it prompts everything we do. Actually, when I was a kid, it was one summer, I was like eight years old, right? And I got this allowance of probably like a dollar a week or something. And I remember there was these things, I can't remember what they were called, I was trying to find out, but they were called either quick sticks or flip sticks. They were like, you had like these two little batons and like, you know, somebody called them devil sticks in college, but uh, you would have like a big baton and these two little like drumstick size things and you would twirl them around. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Any hippies out there? Like, you know, like hacky sack and devil sticks, right? Um, come on, you got me. Um, and so when I was like eight years old, there was a TV commercial that had these things and they called them flip sticks or quick sticks or something. And it was like twelve ninety five plus like $9 shipping and handling. So for like 20 bucks, you can get these things. And they looked awesome. So for a whole summer, I worked and worked and worked. Like my whole summer was like, every chore I did was with these quick sticks in mind, right? I was just hoping and praying I would get them. And so I'll never forget it. Like I finally like mowed the grass and picked up some pine cones for this neighbor and blah, 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 and got enough money to order them. And they came in the mail and no lie. I was like TV only, you can't buy in stores. A week later, a friend of mine bought the exact same thing for three bucks at Big Lots. Now, for an eight-year-old kid, it's, it's really kind of sad how much of an impact that had on me. <laughs> because here I am, like, you know, 25 years later, remembering that 
my whole summer was prompted by, if I could get that toy, I will be happy. And my whole summer was shaped with the promise that you can only get this on TV, you can't get it in stores. Well, that was baloney, because my friend mowed one person's lawn and got it, and I mowed like 15 people's lawns and had to wait. That story actually is not really fitting like I'd hoped it was. (laughs) (laughs) The point being was that I found my happiness as an eight-year-old in this toy that I really wanted, and it shaped my actions and my motivations for an entire summer, and I was let down in the end. Because in the end, happiness is circumstantial. Your happiness can come and go like the tides, man, like the wind. But joy is something much deeper. Joy is something drastically different. Joy goes beyond circumstances. Joy rests in the promises of a victory that has been secured for us. Here we are in the first century, being oppressed by Rome, being taxed to death, being marginalized religiously, and you're anticipating a king to show up to set you free. And here comes the good news that this king is not only a political victory, not merely a military victor, but is God himself dwelling with you. Your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. God is dwelling with you. What happens next? It's not circumstantial happiness. It is a deep, deep joy, resting in the promises of God's presence with us. Now, this is what happens here. We, we see a glimpse of this, like these wise men, these guys are smart, they're schooled, they're uh, religious. We don't know a ton about them, but they are uh, probably spiritual, philosophical, probably wealthy guys because they travel like 800 miles to come see this king. And it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, this is like the most joy you can possibly have because they recognize that something has happened that changes the course of history forever. And that gives them great joy. Why? Why do they have great joy? Matthew tells us in chapter 1, verse 21, that the son being born is Emmanuel, God dwelling with us, and he, she, she, that you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh is our salvation. The Lord saves us. That's good news. I mean, that's something to celebrate. That's where we find great joy. You see, happiness is circumstantial. Joy is saying, I find my identity in something that is eternally secure. Happiness is, I find my identity in this temporal thing that's not secure. Your quick sticks, they break, right? Your job, you might lose it. Your relationship may change with a person. Your money, uh, well, you know, taxes. It's me right now. IRS, right? That is wrong. Just scratch that from the record. If you find your identity in anything that is temporal, you'll be disappointed. But if you find your identity in something that is eternally secure, you will find great joy. That's the good news of the gospel, is Jesus is that God is our salvation. Not money, not your house, not your relationship, not your job, not your education not your physical strength, not your good looks, not your charm, not your beard, not your flannel shirt, not the car you drive or the neighborhood you live in or the position or status you have in this society. 
All of those things will go away. But joy is that we find our identity secured in the fact that God is our salvation. We're not our own salvation. That God is dwelling with us. This is good news. And as we enter this Advent season anticipating the dwelling presence of Jesus, this changes everything for us because if we see that God is with us, that we are no longer defined by the guilt and sin of our past, Emmanuel, God with us, deals with that. We are defined by the dwelling presence of Christ. If we see that we are no longer defined by the circumstantial happiness that we pursue in our job and work and our relationships and neighborhoods we live in and style of person we have or hobbies or whatever, the good news is that we have our identity in the person and work of Jesus. In that we find great joy, not circumstantial happiness. So no matter what tie you get on Sunday morning or on, on Christmas morning, no matter what uh, your bank account looks like uh, before or after, the holidays, that doesn't define you. Find great joy in who Christ is and what he's done because Jesus is God saving us. And so here we are, the Advent conspiracy, worshiping fully because God is making good on his promised presence in Christ, God dwelling with us. God is making good and, and bringing us great joy, having a heart of joy because our identity is in the personal work of Jesus saving us. And finally, we see that, that we respond with a posture of worship together. I mean, I love this because we see these wise men. We don't, we don't know their names really. Um, we don't really know how many there were because we often say there's like three because there's like gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so we feel like each guy brings a gift, but there probably, there could have been more guys with them, you know, in all likelihood there were more guys with them than just like three wise men. Um, so there were probably a handful of dudes traveling uh, to go do this, but we see what happens when they hear this good news. It drives them to, to I mean, it, it took them months to travel there. It could have taken years, actually. And so, so they leave everything and, and, and travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to come see this, this sight of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, being born. In verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Over in verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You see, a posture of worship is prompted anytime we're in the presence of God. Anytime we're in the presence of the Lord, our heart responds with exceeding joy because we see that our circumstances don't matter but the secured victory of God. And we see that a, a heart of worship is prompted as well that comes out in action. The presence of God in Christ changes everything. The Apostle Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2. Titus 2, he says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, changes everything. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God dwelling with us. Jesus being God, saving. This changes in identity, redeeming us from lawlessness, purifying us to be a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
You see, an encounter with the living God takes away our sin, our guilt. It shapes our hearts to have an identity not found in circumstantial happiness, but eternal joy. So our identity is changed to be this kind of a people whose lives are prompted by a different kind of action, action of worship, action of good works. These things happen as an overflow of a changed heart of joy, having encountered God in the living Christ. This all comes because of the presence of God dwelling with us, Emmanuel, Jesus. We see in Matthew 28, Jesus himself, what we know is the Great Commission, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Listen to this promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of my favorite things about Gospel of Matthew is that that it begins and ends with the promise of the presence of God. I mean, Matthew chapter 1 begins with Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And then the last words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel is, is, behold, I am with you always. I mean, the presence of God bookends the gospel of Matthew. And this is such a promise for us that you and I need to cling to because the promised presence of God changes everything for us. Our identity, because we're no longer defined by the sin and guilt of our past, It changes our our, our community because we are gathered as a people of joy for his own possession. And it changes our motivations, our mission, because we are driven with this good news, empowered by God's presence, fueled by joy, to go and be a people who are zealous for good works and who are making disciples. So that's it. That's Advent. Advent. That's what it means to worship fully. We'll be moving to a time of reflection, and I would ask you to contemplate on these things. What is it, how does the promised presence of God with us uh, change who you are and how you live? God being with you, this eternal promise, does this prompt joy in your life, or does it prompt guilt and fear? Because, friends, in the gospel, there's no guilt, there's no fear, there's no shame. The presence of Christ is not fear and guilt-inducing. It's joyful. I mean, Jesus coming to rescue you is joyful. So if you're here today and you're dealing with baggage and guilt and shame in Christ that is dealt with, your sin is atoned for, your guilt is taken away in Christ. Other things will bring you circumstantial, temporary happiness, but in the end, you'll still have guilt and shame. But in Christ, we have eternal joy because once and for all, our guilt and shame and sin is taken away. And out of that, we have joy, knowing that our identity is in Christ and not ourselves. Thank God. Thank God. And out of that comes an overflow of action for uh, worship and zealous, zealousness, for zeal for good works. So as a church... So, so I want you to contemplate those things personally in, in your marriage, in your family, and in relationships, okay, during the time of response. But also, as a church, uh, we are trying to put uh, practical action steps in place to, to, to stretch ourselves a little bit. The Advent, cons- Advent conspiracy is, is a time for us to slow down, worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. 
And so as you reflect on how to do that in your lives personally, also I want to encourage you to pray about uh, how you can partner in the work that we are doing here uh, through Redemption Church, uh, through missional communities serving, uh, through, uh, we have an opportunity uh, this coming, this next weekend to, um, to get together, to hang out, to have fun, and to, to do some things to serve uh, the city and also to uh, raise funds for a Uganda mission uh, that we are partnering with. Because all of these things should be done not from guilt, but from joy. Because the presence of the Lord is with us. Right? So uh, let me just pray. Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for uh, a few minutes to look through your word. And, and God, um, and the busyness of this season um, can distract all of us, uh, can exhaust all of us, myself included. Uh, but God, I thank you that we rest uh, not in our circumstances, but in your eternal uh, salvation of us. Uh, God, the things that you do for your glory and our joy, uh, may, that, may that prompt our motivations, uh, not only through Advent season, but, but, but our lives in general and our marriages and families and relationships and work and school and, and the community um, and our neighborhoods. Um, Lord, uh, I, I pray as we, we look at this Christmas story from different angles, uh, God, I, I pray that you would be stirring up our minds' attention uh, toward you, that we, you would be stirring up our hearts' affection uh, to you, that you would be drawing us closer to yourself. Uh, God, may we trust the promise uh, that you do not abandon your people. You do not abandon your people to sin and bondage uh, and idolatry, but God, you rescue your people. You've done that throughout generations as we see through the scripture. You do that today. And so, God, as we trust the promise of your dwelling presence, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, our salvation, Christ, the Messiah, I've got to pray uh, that in this room, for those who do not know you yet, uh, that you would uh, awaken dead hearts to beat with life, that you would open closed minds to believe, to trust the gospel, the good news. And God, for those of us who uh, you have saved, God, and that you are saving and that you will save, God, I pray that you would stir up within us uh, an exceeding joy, that we would rejoice with an exceeding joy, that we would worship you fully, and God, with our attention, our affection, our resources, our relationships, our motivations, God, the, our attitudes, and um, uh, that we would love others uh, as you have loved us. And we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the gospel. In Christ's name, amen.